Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Schechter. In the U.S. or in fact anywhere else around the world, when freedom is threatened, when liberty is under siege, it is often the artist that comes to the rescue. Not necessarily in the realm of changing politics, but in reminding us why freedom is important, inspiring us to remember what matters amidst the fear and noise of repression. Our current environment is certainly a good example. The poet William Blake talked about art as seeing the world in a grain of sand. I suppose that what he really meant was the ability to move in so tightly on something that inside of it we could construct an almost fourth dimension through which to better view the world and our experience in it. In a new book entitled It Occurs to Me That I'm an American, my guest Jonathan Santlifer has brought together some of the most profound artists and writers of our time to do exactly that. Jonathan Santlifer is an award-winning author and editor. His personal memoir, A Widower's Notebook, will be published later this year. And it is my pleasure to welcome Jonathan Santlifer here to talk about It Occurs to Me That I Am an American, News Stories and Art. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. What a beautiful introduction that was, just generally about you know artists and their responses. Uh, I couldn't have said it better. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Tell us a little bit about how this came together, how these artists and writers came together for this volume. Give us a little background on that. Uh, sure. Um, well, actually, I asked them. I invited them. I, I You know, I, I sort of had this feeling of, um, what can I do? Uh, as you said, what do artists do? How do artists respond? And so I thought I'd put the word out to a bunch of writers and visual artists that I knew, though I did, did not know everyone in this book, believe me, um, I don't know this um, list of amazing people. I know some of them. But the word spread, and then people even got in touch with me. And, and what, I, what I wanted, you know, I didn't want the typical kind of uh, political essays um, or polemic. You know, I think there's enough of that going on right now in the world. And so I, I wanted to, I asked the writers to write stories and the artists, everybody made something new. And I said, you know, write something about civil liberties, what it means to you to be an American, what you feel is being threatened, if you're anxious, if you're angry, but put it into art form. So that that's really how it came about. And then uh, I made uh, the very big mistake of saying we're going to publish this on the anniversary of the Women's March, which meant we had six months to do it with 52 contributors. So uh, it, it's been a whirlwind, but, but it's been pretty great, too, I have to say. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Did, did you give them any direction or, or tell them certain areas to write about? One of the things I was struck by is how many focused on the issue of race in particular in one form or another. Um, I did not. I, I did give them direction, uh, but what I said was that I, I said I wanted most specifically for them to think about if there was um, if it was biography in some way. In other words, if it came out of their life, but that they needed to put it into story form. Their race is. Uh, I would say probably an issue in about a third of the stories. Right. But you know, we also have dystopian stories and we have stories about climate change but but they're all very i think some of them are more subtle than others obviously some are very hard-hitting but uh i think we also have some really 
it's hard to believe, but some very funny um, laugh out loud stories in the book. But I, I specifically said to people, stories. Turn them into fiction so that people can actually enjoy this book while they are learning something, feeling something, experiencing what we're all going through, you know, and finding a place. To, this is what artists do. Don't you agree, Jeff? They, they find a way to put their anxiety or their feelings into some kind of form. And, uh, and that's what I hoped everyone would do. Right. You know, I went back and forth with many different writers and artists as to what they wanted to do and um, you know some would send me notes and I'd say well maybe do a little more of this and a little less of that uh, but uh, pretty much they followed their hearts and I think that's good mm-hmm. Did you say, you wrote one of the essays in here, which was more, I guess, optimistic and, and maybe a little more hopeful. Did did you have a sense that what you might wind up at the end was a pretty bleak collection that, that really reflected uh-huh. a pretty bleak picture of where we are today? Um, yeah, well, you know, for some for some odd reason or another, I am a somewhat optimistic guy. Um, my optimism does get to be crushed on a daily basis, but you know, <laughs> I back up. I'm like one of those clowns, you know, those those inflatable clowns. Right. You can hit them and they fall down and they bounce back up. Um, I my essay is the introduction about what I wanted in the book, what I felt, um, and, and and that I think, you know, I I think that is a kind of hopeful piece. Um, I think I said it at the end of that, that I wanted the book to represent, you know, more than just great prose and beautiful pictures, but to represent hope. Um, I did expect some bleak stories, some bleak art images, and there are some, but, but as I said, you know, there are, um, Susan Isaacs, you know, who became famous in the seventies for compromising positions, wrote a really, really funny story. It has a bite to it. There's no question, but it's also a very funny story. I think, um, you know, I asked very diverse kinds of writers. So Mary Higgins Clark wrote a very tender story about a world war two veteran, which she actually, she was going to dedicate it to her brother who died in that war, but she decided to keep it a little more anonymous. Um, I think uh, Roz Chast, the New Yorker cartoonist, get, gives us something very funny. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I think it's kind of, I don't think this, the book is bleak, and I hoped it wouldn't be. Um, I don't mind when people are writing angry pieces or ones that are, yeah, Joyce Carol Oates, if you mind if I babble on for a moment. Sure, go ahead. Joyce Carol Oates, Joyce Carol Oates for a very, a dystopian story. And I didn't know this until she handed it in that she had started this piece a few years ago and put it aside. And then when I wrote to her and asked her to do this, she pulled it out and she thought, Oh gosh, this is actually happening. We're really close to this. And it gave her the impetus to finish it. Now that story, I would say, it's funny, you might call it bleak, but you read it in a shot, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's so cinematic, and so um, it's kind of 1984-ish and, and scary. But, uh, but I'm not, I, I don't think the book is a, I don't think it's a dark book. I, I would say it's a hopeful book, you know? It's, it's a book that 
people are writing about to people are writing things and making images um, about what it means to them to to be an American, what we need to preserve, what we hope to preserve, you know, all those kind of things. One of the things I, I suppose what makes it hopeful in a sense is that it, it, <clears throat> it if successful, it arguably changes our point of view on the world. We may not have a, a hopeful view, but it, what it does is it gives us context. You know, every day we're taking in raw data, more data, more data, more mm-hmm. data about what's actually happening. But what's missing from so much of that is context. And and in many ways, this, this provides that. These stories provide that. Oh, that's a, that's a great thing to say, and I, I hope that's true. You know, um, I'm not sure, uh, you know, I, I, I say often, and, and I say this to writing students of mine, and that I don't think, you know, one story can change the world particularly, but I do think that when you say context, you know, hopefully when you're reading a story or looking at a work of art, you fall into it, right? You become part of that world. So if, if you see that Art Spiegelman, for example, is doing these amazingly beautiful and very complex drawings of, of Ellis Island. Um, it, it suddenly, be, and, and you know, there's writing in it. You can suddenly feel yourself inside that. Or, you know, you look at, I don't know, um, I'd say Elizabeth Strout's story, for example, is very quiet and very beautiful, but it feels, you know, it's about how our lives change, what we expected, what we did get, what we didn't get. Or, you know, you, you read a, a story by James Hanahan, which is a very strong racial story, um, kind of shocking at one point, but, um, you know, also kind of satire. And yet, you know, so you gasp at some of it, but at the same time, you know, you're in this world of a, uh, black couple trying to adopt a white baby. And so it does put things like that into context. You know, um, you suddenly see yourself or Susan Isaacs, you know, a, a, a kind of rich white woman suddenly finding herself aiding and abetting Haitian immigrants. You know, this woman who's the first half of the story has been talking about shopping on Rodeo drive or wherever. And so, and you're inside her head and it's very funny. So, so will it change the way people feel? Well, you know, I, I, I hope nowadays that we can have a dialogue. You know, if you read Susan Minot's story, listen, right. it's just about people talking, you know, saying different things. It's a dialogue. It's, it's a poem. It's, it's going to be enacted on the stage, by the way, in New York at Symphony Space with a bunch of other stories. And I think that'll be interesting to hear it. But I know that when Susan wrote it, she said she was just putting together things that she'd heard, things that people had said to her that then and wanted to see how they would mix together, you know, all these different things people are saying today. So um, I hope the book does have a context for people that they read it and they think about it. It's thought provoking. It's uh, disturbing. It's funny, interesting, all those things. I mean, where, where the context is also relevant, I suppose, and all those things that you're saying about it, is that in our environment today, it's hard to get people to talk about some of these issues head on. There's a lot of fear. There's yeah. a lot of reservation. But 
but to look at them in the context of a different kind of story might allow people to open their minds just a little bit in ways that that they might not do in a more direct head-on conversation. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's um I think you've actually now touched on something that I felt but I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't completely clear in my head when I first started putting the book together, but that I wanted just what you're talking about, not political essays at all, but stories that people that would get people thinking and being able to confront or talk about certain things, you know, and you're right. It's, it's very difficult. People are polarized. They're angry. Um, There's a very kind of wild and crazy story by Walter Mosley you know, about this man who kind of sequesters himself inside his apartment. And he seems to be going crazy, but he's also withdrawing from the world. And, uh, you know, at the same time, you see he ends up becoming a social media star by doing that. So it's this kind of turnaround. But but I wonder, you know, a story like that, when I first read it, it was one of the first stories that, that came in. And I read it and I thought, gee, I wonder if people will... Uh, this will help people to, if it would bring up a discussion between pe- you know, different people about climate change and how we, how we talk to each other, you know, th- those kind of things. Um, so it's very much, I think, what this book is about, you know, it's about people being able to talk. You know, you read a story and you might tell your friend to read this story and then you'll talk about it. And maybe you'll be on different sides of the issue, but you can talk about the story from both sides. Um, I, I think that's a great thing. If, it, if one thing I can do uh, to get people talking and thinking, then it's done a, a very big part of its job. Right. Talk a little bit about the visual artists that are part of this collection. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I got my training as, as a visual artist. I was a painter. I'm still a painter, but... Um, uh, I, I really didn't start writing until later in my life. And so I very much wanted visual artists in here for some very specific reasons. I'd say one, here's the lowest level. I love picture books. I grew up as a kid looking, you know, I taught myself to read with comic books. So I've asked a lot of graphic novelists, um, you know, like Mimi Pond, who does a hilarious thing here, or Eric Orner, who's a young um, graphic comic maker. I mean, he does a really funny three-page fold-out in the book about, uh, that I think is hilarious, uh, very biting. Um, so I have those people. I have great visual painters like Eric Fischel, who's doing a series called Late America. Um, I had a, you know, aside from just the marquee names in the book, uh, I wanted some younger people. There's a young woman named Bridget Hawkins, and she was a student of mine in my graphic novel class at Pratt Institute. And and she started doing this uh, graphic comic about her life, about being biracial. And I just realized this is exactly something that, you know, if someone could read it as a comic and uh, it would get people involved on another level. You know, visual art, of course, is people see it. You look at it. You know, you don't have to read it. So we could look at paintings. um, And, you know, in so many ways, I think not only does it make the book beautiful, but it's it's a sort of simpler and more direct 
hit to your brain. Uh, I don't know if you looked at John Quick to See Smith, who's a, an American Indian. By the way, she corrected me when I said Native American. Uh, that that you know, so she's a, a American Indian, and her paintings, which are really you know, I think starkly beautiful. There's a little statement she has with them about canoes and totems and the history of Native Americans and American Indians in this country. So you get to look at something really like beautiful and striking, and then you start to examine it and think about it. Um, and because I was trained as an artist and I love visual art, I kind of wanted to bring them together in one book. You know, I thought they could play against each other. People could look at the pictures. They could take a break from the writing or go back and forth, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I love the way it made the book look. I love the way the cover works, you know, with the Jasper John, the Jasper John's right. American flags, which to me is one of the most iconic images we, we have of the American flag. And it, that goes all the way back to the 60s. So... We went after him to get use of that image for the cover, which we got. And, uh, you know, even the uh, end papers are, you know, the original Constitution. So the visual part of the book was very important to, to us. And, uh, and I'm very happy with the way it looks. You know, so, you know, you can, re- as I said, you can read and look at pictures uh, right. just the way I did when I was a kid. So, well, the, like, the, the, yeah. the difference is it's funny you talk about the 60s because I was thinking about it in, in that framework as well. And the, the difference was, I suppose, in the 60s, what, what artists brought was, was music. Now that's not necessarily uh, part yeah. of the equation. It's, maybe it, mm-hmm. it is more writing in visual art today. Maybe so. You know, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, can, I can only really... Uh, there are only so many things, of course, um, one can know. And um, my my two fields would be visual art and writing. Um, I love music. I used to I used to say to my wife that that you know when I was really a painter that if I went blind I was going to teach myself to play an instrument and become a great musician or I'd have to kill myself. And she said, "Oh, honey, you're tone deaf. Yeah, you have to kill yourself right away." But in any case, um, you know, music. I think the 60s also was a time when, by the way, that was supposed to be a joke, uh, Jeff. Uh, yes, it really I, went I, over I, very, very poorly, no. but okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to, um, you know, say that I think the 60s are somewhat analogous in terms of, you know, reactions and rebellion and a lot of talk and a lot of conflict. Um, I didn't keep that in mind necessarily when I, when I was putting this book together, but, you know, I think there are periods in our history and our lives when particularly different kinds of artists are galvanized. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, I couldn't put music in this book. I wouldn't know where to start, but would surely be nice to have a CD to play. Right. But, um, uh, you're right the folk singing, you know, and uh, that was coming out of the, these would be a whole different thing. Um, you know, also, I guess our world is so large at this point. Right. Uh, I, I was limiting myself, of course, to Americans for this book. 
to. Um, or um, you could be, an, I mean, many of the people are immigrants who have become Americans, like Viet Thanh Nguyen, who wrote the introduction, beautiful introduction. Or I asked uh, Lee Child, you know, who's British, but is, and c- considers himself an immigrant. He said that the other night on a panel we had. But, you know, one of our, probably our most successful crime writers who wrote a beautiful story about expatriatism and um, a hate crime. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't think I answered your question there. No, that's fine. Sorry about that. Was there anybody that said no to doing this? Well, you know, (laughs) here's the funny part. I sent out a big list of requests to different people, and I didn't hear from a lot of them for a while. So I sent another list. And then the next thing I knew, so many of the people had said yes, which is why we ended up with 50, more than 50 contributors. Uh, But there were people who said no. Um, Most of them, I would say all of the people who said no, they said it because they either were going to be on a book tour for the next six months or they were not going to be in the country. They didn't say no because they didn't want to. They all said, oh, I would love to be in this butt. Um, in, in any case, I did end up with more people than I expected, and uh, it made the book sort of difficult to pull together in such a short amount of time. But I, I surely could not be happier with the people who have ended up participating in this book. You know, it's um, an extraordinary group, and and not a diva among them. They all got their work in on time, uh, <laughs> and they, you know, that was pretty something because. I had a few sleepless nights, but beyond that, not not so much. Great. The book is It Occurs to Me That I Am America, New Stories and New Art, an original collection of stories and art about the American experience. Jonathan, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Oh, it was very nice to do that, and I thank you, Jeff, for asking me to. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you.